You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome, good morning. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Saturday morning, live, Generation X. With okay. myself, Kayoum, Brother Hanif, and Brother Adil. The three musketeers are back <laughs> after a little while. Gentlemen, assalamu alaikum, peace be on you. Peace be on you as well, and uh, lovely to be here today, and Adil, great. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Good Good morning. Uh, I would love to say, you know, I always like to comment about the weather. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, I know you're looking out the window um, right now. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's going to be a good segue into what we're going to be talking about today. But yes, it's really good to be here. Really good to be back after two months absence. Um, refreshed, uh, raring to go, and peace and blessings of God be upon you all. And looking forward to a, a great program today with you guys. Yeah. Now, before we start... Um, um, we want we, we're going to just very briefly yeah cover uh, uh, an unspeakable uh, tragedy travesty um height of persecution an incident that happened in burkina faso uh, in uh, west africa yesterday where nine members of the ahmadiyya muslim community were brutally brutally murdered um because yeah. because they believed in a peaceful unification of Islam. They believed in love uh, and not hatred. They believed in uh, serving humanity. Um, gentlemen, how did you feel when, when you heard the news? I was in complete astonishment. I was flabbergasted. I said, how? Because of we know that the work that our community has been doing in Burkina Faso with the eye operations and the relationship we have with the community and the way we have been working tirelessly to get access and help those in areas within Burkina Faso which have been left by society and ignored where we have gone to those areas and re-established the community irrespective of who they are, which faith they are, which whichever belief system they have to be able to give them the core essential sustainable things for life water electricity a roof over their head education and so this was a country that we love so much anyway and we had a relationship with them so hearing this news for me killing these in cold-blooded attacks these individuals um was absolutely heart-rendering for me so I, I couldn't believe it and as the news started breaking it dawned on me but yes it's, it's happened and then it reminded me of what happened in 2010 as well the the attack on two mosques in in Lahore and it kind of gives me the impression that yes although we live in peace and our gambit of what we actually believe in is love for all and hatred for none that kind of shocked me so how for a community that stands on its pure foundations to serve the community and give peace and tranquility to be returned. But obviously these actions are not related to the values of what Islam teaches. So I'm sure that the government of Bikina Faso will investigate because of what we what the the service that our community does well i'll hold it there because we could do a whole hour on on this but it's not really <clears throat> for us to get into a lot of details so that was my initial thought brothers that's what i thought um 
and I, 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 I second those those sentiments. And I just want to uh, give a little bit of background um, to this incident for our listeners who are not aware. On Wednesday, 11th of January, uh, terrorists forcefully entered a mosque um, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Burkina Faso, killing nine worshippers in an unprovoked, cold-blooded attack. Um, surely to Allah we belong and to him we shall return. I'm not going to go into any more detail, but um, uh, this will be uh, discussed, this will be uh, explained by His Holiness um, Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper in the Friday sermon uh, next week um, as to what happened. But again, uh, for me personally, yeah. it brought tears to my eyes. Like many of us, it's shocking. The first I heard of it was when uh, Bayou sent me a flurry of messages. Mm. Um, and my, my daughter said, hey, what, why is your phone pinging so much? And when I opened it, it was just... It was just shocking, um, and you know, just just imagine the impact on the families. There were children present when this took place. It's just the more and more you read about it, it just beggars belief. So, my 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 earnest prayer is that may Allah reward those who have left us, um, and to give those who have been left behind. Um, solace, comfort, and patience of this huge tragedy, not only for um, Mahdi Abad, where this incident took place yeah. in Burkina Faso, uh, near a town of Dori, but also for Burkina Faso themselves, for Africa, and the for the world at large, where all of our Ahmadi brothers and sisters um, are living. Mahdi Abad meaning the land of the promised Messiah. Um, yep. My only words would be, the youngest was 46, the eldest was 70. Um, the, str the strength of faith displayed in this martyrdom is an example to all. And in reality, they may have been killed, but they will be, they will be alive forever, is, is the best I can say. May God... Uh, give all of the martyrs the highest accolade in paradise and may God rest their souls and and our deepest condolences from the Saturday Morning Live team from Generation X. Yep. Um, with that, we're going to take a very quick break and when we come back, we're going to go on to the norms of our show. We're going to go through some uh, news headlines, see what the newspapers are covering and then from around 10.30 onwards, 10.20, um, we're going to be talking about Climate change. We're going to be talking about climate energy. We're going to be talking about sustainability. Um, I am uh, very happy that I have two experts with me today, which is Brother Adil and Brother Hanif, who are going to be carrying this for me, and, and I will be the layman for the morning. We're um, plead ignorance when it comes to... <laughs> what does that mean? Ignorance. You're going to put your feet up for I'm going to put my feet up. No, what it I'm means is he has an excuse yeah. to be... I'm, a, I'm actually going to ask the questions that a layman asks the, all the experts and, and, and try and... Uh, I just imagine Kuyumba, you know, sitting back on his chair, laying back with his feet on the table. <laughs> with that thought in mind, go and get yourself a cup of coffee because I know you need one now. <laughs> Don't visualise that. <laughs> We're going to be right back after a very brief message. Allah 
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. So let's have a look at what the papers are saying. Gentlemen, anything that springs to uh, anything you like except Harry? Well, <laughs> <laughs> except Harry, brother Adil. <laughs> well, there's a lot of. Um, News about the doctors, right? The NHS. Yeah. Yes, um, very and, important. Um, the Times uh, this morning is saying we need to train more doctors, says NHS chief. Amanda Pritchard. So we got uh, hospitals too reliant on agency and foreign staff. Um, the head of the NHS has called for a big increase in the training of homegrown doctors. Well, what a surprise, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry, but you have qualified doctors that you're not calling on, okay? You've got you put restrictions in place for those qualified doctors who just can't, who want to serve, but you're putting so many restrictions on. So, you know, I, I think it's about time, and can you get on with it, please? Because I think where the NHS is under so much strain, I unfortunately had to go to the local hospital a couple of months ago. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was chaos. The, it was chaos. The most common word now used by experts, nurses and doctors, it's a war zone. It looks like a war zone, especially when you see the A&E. The A, you walk into an A&E, um, I would not hope anyone has to go to the A&E, but the reality is... And I, th- I think you're right. This is hitting the news. We all know what's going on with the NHS. There is um, the staff are feeling they're undervalued. Um, Which they are. And we all know how hard they work. The system is not working. Um, and Amanda Pritchard, who I mentioned earlier when you said the CEO, has, has actually agreed with what you've said. She's come out and, and, and said it after a long time. We haven't been training enough staff. And one of the biggest things that she mentioned is that we need more homegrown um, stuff but that uh, NHS workers but that takes a long time to materialize about five years to train a doctor minimum um, and then we need all the support staff so what we have been doing for many years now is taking qualified nurses doctors consultants from other countries and we're depriving them of their um, skill set. So really what we should be doing is home groaning out. And one of the biggest challenges in that is that there are only a certain number of university places that allow these students to come through. So that needs to increase. And not only that, does that need to increase, we also need to um, invest when the social care system and what happens at the trust at the hospital split and that... Um, responsibility of the social care system went to local authorities, the funding didn't follow as as much as it should have followed. And therefore, you've got a broken system and they're not talking together. After all those problems, and we know the biggest thing for me recently in the news was the ambulances going on strike and the pictures that you saw outside the hospitals with all the ambulances lined up. And now we know that within those ambulances, because they couldn't get them into the hospital, they started triaging them in the ambulances because we need to go and collect the next person who needs an ambulance, but Mm. they're not able to do it. Mm. You know, one thing that disappointed me, I was disappointed in Labour because I think there was a very good thing that was, is it West Streeting? West Streeting. He made a very valid and a, a relevant point about the GPs and how the system works with the GPs. 
But I don't think this is the time to be in opposition and talk about how systems need to do this, need to do that. Yeah. One thing I find frustrating, Labour, I can understand where the Conservative government is kind of, at, especially at PMQs, Rishi Sunak's get-out clauses, oh, you support the strikers, you you support the unions. That's kind of become a mantra for, for Rishi Sunak whenever a health issue um, is, is raised by Labour. But this isn't about the strike. This is about, if it was just one profession who was striking, you'd say, okay, understand. The whole of the public sector, even now private sector, <clears throat> is striking. The country is at a standstill. So Labour just need to come out and say, you know what? We support these people who are striking, not because of the strike, but because of the conditions they're living in. They're just not being paid enough. Keep it simple. All right. So can I just bring it back to to, to the news, mm-hmm. right? So, so um, the Independent Weekend is talking about... Um, uh, is basically making a statement that NHS uh, Labour is saying that NHS too often runs that's for it. doctors, yeah, not that's patients. That's the one I was referring to. Yeah. Medics, yeah. medics must accept change to transform the NHS. Great. Well, okay, mm-hmm. let's do it. And now they're talking about well, health reforms uh, will take a decade. Okay, there fine. you go. Yep. Can we get on with it? Sometimes the status quo is often uh, driven by the provider. Agree. And it's about time you you turn it's on his head and 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 put the patient, the patient's in interest um, at its at its core. And by the way, wasn't that the reason why the NHS was created in the first place? First place. place. And we've forgotten it, and it's it's become so. Um, <clears throat> how should I put it? You know, there's more uh, you know private appointments that I've I've been to than you know using the NHS. I'm I'm, I'm sorry to say, because we just I don't can't see why get. you are so. I don't see why you should be sorry. Then because but, I think people want, but, you know, and I think I find it ridiculous where the media is doing this. And I do blame the media. I don't think it's a question of party politics. If I've earned, if I am on a good salary, and to ask Rishi Sunak to say, oh, you, uh, you, you're not registered with a GP. Well, why should he be? He earns enough to go private. No, I don't think that was the that was the issue. But what's the issue? The issue was when he was asked, he didn't want to say it. But this is what I'm saying. No, so, but when, he, he but should when be, you are the he prime minister, of enough the, to say. When, yes, but when you are prime minister of the country, yeah, you are of interest of the people you are serving. So th- that wasn't a question that would have warranted for him to hide behind a cloth. We all no, know my he's point very is, well, from a Rishi Sunak point of view, yeah. he should be confident enough to say, yes. "I don't need to go to a, uh, I don't need to go to NHSGP. I earn enough to go private. What's the problem in that? It's uh, his yeah, not I answering think, that causes further problems. I think it's the problems. optics of how it would look for yeah, a politician as he said. Right? So, no, but yeah, everyone knows that he is an extremely but, wealthy uh, when, individual. Why when have you seen a politician answer a straight, straightforward question? No, okay. Let me ask you. Use I, I've I've used private. You've used private. Mm. Everyone's has used private when the need occurs, when it's your loved one who needs treatment, you will opt for whatever works. So I think I, I blame the media. I think they 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 kind of they are so busy um, with with this boxing match that the substance of uh, of, of a lot of the stuff. I gets, think what you need to do is separate lost. in this conversation what you're saying about the media. I think the reality is, irrespective of what the media is saying, over the last decade or so, the situation of our NHS has just been dire after so many policy decisions that have been made that have created 
the shortfall of nearly 130 plus vacancies in the NHS. Why are people choosing to leave the profession and you're investing all this money, but there's a hole at the bottom? That needs to be solved and stopped so we can get back to our... Um, our service because what you see I'll just finish very quickly but we do know that four out of ten nurses in the NHS are agency staff and they charge nearly double uh, cost the NHS more money and there are still many care providers that are putting profits before people this needs to change and I'll hold it there because I wouldn't stop on this subject I know you would but I'll leave it we're going to stop we're going to stop we're going to take a very 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 quick break and when we come back we're going to hand over to Brother Adil who's going to be introducing the topic of the morning about sustainability and climate change do stay tuned go and grab yourself a uh, a a paper cup another cup of coffee another cup of coffee you need one because it's Brother Adil who's going to be taking charge so do stay tuned and join us right after this very very short break You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live with Generation X, myself, Kayoun, Brother Adil and Brother Hanif. Uh, Brother Adil, what is the topic of the morning? So um, the topic of the morning today is is um, what does sustainability mean in today's world, right? So we live, um, you know, how can we live a sustainable life to counter climate change? You know, if you switch on the TV... Um, and if you turn to any news channel today, right, read any news article or a scientific journal, you cannot um, ignore the impact that you see of climate change. Look outside the window, okay? It's just all too obvious. The UK saw the highest average temperature since records began. We experienced the longest drought in the United Kingdom. U.S. saw storm bombs in California. The French Alps saw its ski resorts close due to lack of snow. It's here. It's here to stay. This is what has been predicted for the last three decades and beyond. So the question now arises, what do we do? How can we help to slow the impact of climate change? More importantly, what are organizations doing today to develop sustainable solutions to help slow the impact? And more importantly, can AI help? We talked about this in in previous programs as well, about the power of AI, but how can artificial intelligence help us in fighting climate change? And more importantly, as we are on Voice of Islam, what is the Islamic perspective in helping to protect humanity, not only humanity, but the environment itself. So joining me today is my good friend and colleague, uh, Mihir Gore. Welcome, Mihir, to the program. Hey, Adil, how are you? Yeah, thank th- thank you. Good morning to you and thank you for joining. Morning, morning. So, so morning, morning. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Peace be on you. Morning, team. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So, so let me introduce let me introduce Mihir and then um, 
we'll, we'll circle back and I'll give some background as well and then we'll kick, it, kick this show off. So Mahir is a distinguished engineer. It's a special recognition that is given within IBM. Uh, he works for IBM. Um, he's been working for IBM for over 25 years, so he's literally part of the furniture. Um, he's delivered many successful um, programs, large enterprise-scale programs um, for its customers, which are complex and global in nature. He's also the IBM SAP Global Sustainability Innovation Chief Technology Officer. And he's really responsible for driving new digital solutions that meet uh, his client's sustainability goals and objectives. So again, welcome here to, to the show and thank you for joining. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Daniel, for that introduction. Um, morning, everyone. Um, thank you for inviting me. I just wanted to talk today about climate change. But before we do that, of course, a little bit of introduction for myself. Um, as Adil said, I've been with IBM for 25 years. I'm one of the last remaining graduates who joined back in the 90s. So it's, I it's, love it. it's you, a long you, haul. You're still calling yourself the graduate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paid for education by the state. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was true, actually. You know, I was the last one to get full uh, funded degree. So yeah. here you go. Um, but you know, um, I think what's happened is um, I've been taking this topic uh, very passionately in the last few years. Um, and I've been doing, as I said, lots of big SAP IT transformations. Um, been on international assignments. Worked in about five years in Germany. Did a lot of, a lot of work in in the US and and working with my colleagues in India. So it's been a global. Uh, career path that I've taken, but I've always been technical. I always liked IT. I like I like what we can do, push the frontier, open up new 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 ways of thinking, new ways of doing things. And and I think in the last, I would say, well, every every year since the last twenty five, but especially in the last five years, I think the the onset of digital technologies, whether it's cloud, mobile, analytics, data, and now also uh, maturing forms of AI. This is really exciting, um, and it's really powerful what we can do now. And, and I think with any type of technology, it's always a double-edged sword, right? You can do good things with it, and you can do bad things with it. And as, as technology experts and, and, and you know, uh, evangelists, if you like, we, we're always looking to make sure we do the good things first, right, and uh, mitigate the bad things. So that's what it's about, and therefore um, using technology uh, in all its forms and varieties putting in governance to make sure it's used in the right way. And I think we've got the tools now to combat the, the mm. existential threat that we face today. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you uh, for the introduction. So so let me just level set uh, for those climate change deniers. So I'm going to I'm going to read off some some climate emergency facts. OK, and then we're going to kick off the program with some questions and um, I'm going to lay it into me here, some 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 questions and hopefully uh, my colleagues are going to be joining in as well. So here's some facts and figures. Uh, the publication of the sixth IPCC climate change report underlines the drastic and in some cases irreversible. Yes, you heard that correct. Irreversible changes that humans have made to the climate. Number one. There are more carbon dioxide. There is more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than any time in human history. In February and March 2021, sensors at the Moana Lao Laboratory in Hawaii, uh, which has tracked Earth's atmospheric concentration of CO2, 
since the late 1950s, detected CO2 concentrations of more than 417 parts per million. Now, if you compare that to the pre-industrial level, it was 278 ppms, which means that the humans are actually halfway through doubling the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere compared to the period between 1750 and 1800. Fact number two, we're on a path to exceeding a 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. Now, in 2015, the Paris Agreement really focuses on, you know, they set themselves an ambitious target that we need to keep the global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius. Well, guess what? They ran some report models. Um, they ran some report models that said, well, we need to, uh, in order to reduce the, the um, future emission uh, scenarios, right? So they, they compared it to very, very high emissions to very low emissions. And in each one of those scenarios, global services, surfaces are expected to hit at least 1.5 degrees Celsius. So when I said to you before some of the changes are irreversible, we are creeping towards that pretty fast. Fact number three, extreme heat events have become more frequent and severe. You only have to switch on the TV to realize. So if you haven't been listening or you haven't been watching the wildfires of Australia, California, Southern Europe, and the fact that I've just mentioned the beginning of the program, uh, what's been happening in Europe, um, this is kind of the peak season for skiing, and most of the resorts had to be closed uh, in Europe because there's not enough snow. If you look at the the, um, the storm bombs in, in, in the US that are taking place, never we've never seen this before. Fact number four, sea levels are rising faster than ever before. Melting ice sheets and glaciers are, and warming oceans lead to higher sea levels, right? So since 1900, sea levels have risen faster than any preceding century in at least 3,000 years. Fact number five, and it's the last one. Arctic sea ice is rapidly diminishing. Temperatures in the Arctic are rising faster than almost anywhere else on the planet. Between 2011 and 2020, annual Arctic sea ice reached its lowest level since at least 1850. And late summer, Arctic sea ice was smaller than any time in the last 1,000 years. So it's about time we did something about it. And this program is all about what do we do next? Okay, so, so Mahir, I guess um, my, my question to you is, you know, we talk about climate change, but at the same time, we also hear words like sustainability. So, so Mahir, we hear a lot about the doom and gloom, right, about climate change and the impact it's having on humanity as a whole. I want to understand more about how humanity is working towards solving these issues, these existential issues we face today and, and in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And see, I don't know, summarize those key facts. Um, quite nicely, actually. But I want to add one more fact, if I could take the liberty, that we have, we have, we're into this um, unprecedented, uncharted territory of um, you know, climate change that's happening at unprecedented rates. So much so that we're heading to something called tipping points. 
Uh, and that's the scary point, because we, we agreed um, a two-degree target in the Paris Agreement with an intention to get to 1.5 degrees uh, pre-industrial levels um, in 2015 as part of the Paris Agreement. But even with 1.5, we're going to hit some tipping points, and that's, that's scary. So there are seven tipping points out there, you know, everything from coral bleaching right up to Greenland ice um, loss, um, west, west South Antarctica ice shelf, uh, the Amazon turning into um, a, a, a grassland rather than, you know, a, a net, um, becoming a net emitter rather than a, an absorber or carbon sink. And there are several others which are quite alarming. But they're all lined up in the future. But we're talking in you know, years, decades or centuries. But it's hard to tell when these tipping points are kicking. The problem with the tipping point, of course, is it's irreversible, as you said earlier. So... To your point, you know, what can we do? What, what are the options available to us? So what the good news is that the, the rapid acceleration of technology and innovation has given us some, some really good tools to address it. First of all, you've got to be able to measure. And this measurement is all about satellite technology, using ice cores, using mud cores, and figuring out what was the composition of the atmosphere in the past. That data, that information, that's, that's something that you need to collect at speed, across locations, across different geographies. And you need to analyze that data at speed, at scale. We haven't had to do that before, but we're going to have to do that now. Once you have that insight, using all sorts of technologies, we can use predictive analytics and various types of algorithms, we come to taking the ability to take action on insight. And that's where we start to think about digital technologies. So what I'm trying to say is, it is bad news in terms of the direction of travel, and unfortunately, we have still not got global alignment on the fastest way to get to net zero. We mm -hmm. talk about net zero being the point of equilibrium, trying to move away from uh, a rampant climate change. But yeah. what we need now is action. And, and the window of opportunity is really closing. Scientists from the IPCC have said to, said to the world that if, if you don't reduce carbon dioxide emission by 45% by 2030, and if you don't reach 2050 with net zero, we're into a very dangerous places, yeah. right? So, yeah. so Mihir, I just want to thank you very much for your time. That's fantastic, actually. But I wanted to flip it on its head before we get into a little bit more detail. I know we're talking about global warming because that's what's happening. But on the flip side, when it was the Ice Age, how much degrees were we colder? It was only about two degrees, right? Or three or four degrees. So if you flip it on the other side, if, we'd, if we were the colder side of the degrees we will be in an ice age so having a slight increase in the temperature we can see the damage it's doing so there isn't a little much fluctuation by by being in a global warming to being in an ice age so when we talk about these small rises of 1.52 degrees but if you look at it the other way in an ice age it was two or three degrees colder globally which meant we were in an ice age so that's just kind of really gets just us for into the benefit it. of the listener. I think that's a very very important point because for people who don't understand the 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 psych the the psychology of the temperatures, it's not the temperature we we talk about every day. Oh, today is thirty eight degrees. It's thirty four yeah. degrees. Uh, you know, and because sometimes people do get confused, thinking, well, it's yeah, only right. one one and a half. So, anyone can somebody explain kind of when people talk about oh, it's increased by one percent. 
what's the relevance? And, and it is that small 1% is not relevant to your everyday temperature. Yeah, so, no, that's a good, it's a good point you're making. So let's just make some classification here. So first of all, we talk about weather. So you, you turn on the TV or listen to radio, you get the weather forecast. That weather forecast is, is a forecast over the next five, 10 days based on satellite data, um, various types of instruments, uh, weather balloons and so forth to tell you uh, what the atmospheric conditions are for that particular locality, hmm. city, state, region, country. Um, and that's it. Now, other countries do similar information, you know, information gathering, and today, our weather forecasting capability is pretty good. You know, we came a lot, we've come a long way, uh, as opposed to looking at, you know, the red skies of late yesterday to figure out the weather of today. We're much more sophisticated in terms of predicting data for the next, you know, five, ten window, five day, five day window, ten day window. But climate, on the other hand, is something far more pervasive, and is it is a long term pattern. It looks at temperature, precipitation, wind, humidity, but across a broader region. And it's more of a broader trend line rather than day-to-day weather temperature. So we have to make that distinction. When we talk about climate, that's a broader pattern as opposed to weather. One more thing to say, that climate always changes. Uh, you, you're correct about the ice age. You know, we had uh, 10,000 years ago was the end of the last ice age. And every 100,000 years, the planet moves through its orbit around the sun and around the, the galaxy, where we have um, uh, planetary oscillation, which means we have uh, periods of time where we have ice age and we don't have Ice Age. That's quite natural. But what's happened in the last 500 years, and particularly the last 250 years since the Industrial Revolution, is that we've, on purpose, uh, emitted so much carbon into the atmosphere that we are tipping the balance away from this natural cycle. Uh, what used to take thousands of years to change in terms of climate is now changing in decades. And that's the scary point. Thanks, Mahir. Um, I just want to turn to more on the on the solution. Right? Yeah. What do we need to do to start to tackle these? Because you know, we we can we can talk pretty much the full show on the impact that climate change is having, and you've alluded to um, uh, some some of those facts, right? What the question I want to ask you is, you know, what are the priorities um, that we as a society uh, need to focus on? When it's uh, when it comes to taking action against climate change, yeah, <clears throat> so there's a lot of work to do. And, and to be honest, this is probably the most um, challenging, challenging time for humanity, in my opinion, that we ever had before. Probably um, the biggest change we're going to have to see around the way we live on the planet, the way we look after the planet, the way we live with each other, because there is interdependency we're seeing around the world whether it's a war in Europe or whether it's uh, climate action, the floods in Pakistan, the the, the, the the storms in California, everything's interconnected. And it's, it's a wake-up call that we all have to take action, both individually but organisationally as well. It's, it's no good just you know doing individual action without organisational action. So the, the two things have to go hand in hand. So in terms of solutions then, you know, we definitely need to reduce our emissions. We've got to wean ourselves off fossil fuels. Uh, yes, it's helped us to get to a standard of living today, not not equally everywhere, and certainly we see a big uh, gulf between the haves and have-nots. So that's unfortunate, and that's something we have to tackle. But we have to move away, away from fossil fuels because that is the cause of the issue. We need to move into more sustainable technologies, whether it's renewables, whether it's nuclear, whether it's um, even fusion. <laughs> I know fusion has just been mentioned last year, but it's, 
it is it is progressing quite fast now. Mm. Um, so there's alt- alternative solutions available around how we generate energy, and then there's there's other things around that. For example, how do you manage and, and take care of the environment in terms of biodiversity? When we talk about climate, there's a parallel problem happening at the same time, which is a loss of biodiversity. Think about bees pollinating our, our crops, or think about um, the, the food web that actually helps us you know, sustain the oceans or sustain the environment and clean water, for example. All of that is so interdependent. So we have to tackle biodiversity as well as climate change. Together. I mean, Mimir, if I can stop you. I mean, that is that, mm. we have to pause here and think about this very carefully. This is not just about... Uh, your garden's flooded or you're getting constant rain or there's no water during or there's a drought during summer. This is affecting all of us on the high street as well when it comes to why is it the prices are spiking up as well, right? Why aren't we getting, yeah. you know, why is the the price of olive oil, for example, so expensive? Because the scarcity of resources, the, because the produce are not being produced in the quantity because of the impact of climate change, and I think that's see that's that brings fact. it really home. That brings that's it really that home. That fact that you just spoke—that's yeah. how to engage the, the yeah, people, exactly. because that's when climate change affects their everyday living. And that's not being done enough. That's right. Sorry, yeah. uh, Meher, yeah. please go ahead. Yeah, so I think there's you know we, we understand the problem statement. Now it's a case of you are saying what are the solutions available to us, and it, it has to be a multi-pronged attack. Uh, I don't think there's a silver bullet, unfortunately. It has to be uh, multifaceted. So let's begin with a couple of ideas. So first of all, we know we have to win ourselves the fossil fuels. The growth of renewable energy is phenomenal. Uh, the cost of solar has dropped uh, 90% since the 1970s. It's literally cheaper than coal now. Uh, and if you think, think of solar in particular, but also wind, uh, we have tremendous potential in the UK, uh, I think was it, um, it was described as Saudi Arabia of wind energy. If we if we if we use that technology wisely, um, there's even more uh, capability coming through with taller and bigger wind turbines, offshore wind turbines, and location is key. Making sure we tap into those um, uh, Arctic uh, and and the, the wind um, the wind flow as we see across the ocean. So wind is powerful. Uh, solar is getting uh, tremendously cheaper, and also, there's this concept of microgeneration. We can now democratize the generator of energy. Um, you know, we have the ability to put solar panels in our houses. There are, you know, techniques and technologies available to not only microgenerate, but also monetize that energy. So if you have surplus, uh, sell it back to the grid. Make money from it. Let's incentivize and let's use, you know, have government policy to support it. But there's so many things we could do about attacking the energy crisis today yeah can, can i just just the the point that the point that you made about you know selling back um the energy that we generate or the electricity that we generate for example through solar panels back to the grid uh under some government scheme i have to say our government has to do a lot more than what's happening today i'll tell you why because um about a year or two years ago during the pandemic i was approached and said well if you fit these solar panels on your roof um, you know, you'll be able to uh, be, you know, you should be able to generate the enough electricity for your house and sell it back to the grid. Well, guess what? We did a calculation on it and it, we didn't generate enough through the solar panels, not only for the, for the house, but to, we couldn't even sell it back to the grid. So that really puts people off. I would want to do that. But the yeah. calculation that came up with through this third party 
said, well, you know, it's going to cost you X thousand and it will take you decades to pay that off. So but also the government it, it, it has changed the, the, the government has changed the equation. Yes, correct. Where where people were would have been able to sell it to grid. But I think, I mean, Brother Hanif would yeah. be able to kind of shed more light mm. on that. Yeah, that's right. Um, they they changed it. You, I think it was about ten percent. You might correct me on that, but that's now gone. The, the scheme gone because obviously the government is now strapped for cash in itself. Mm-hmm. So all these kind of very uh, extensive fringe kind of solutions have all gone. One of the other things you mentioned, I really like the examples that you gave about um, wind farm and um, and getting rid of combustion engines, etc. But I, I inquired, like you, I do, like you're thinking very conscious. It's about heat pumps. To now do your heat pump in your home, besides solar, solar powered, is astronomical prices. So if you want to encourage people uh, to do it, we need more companies like IBM, for example, mm. to say, right, here, here you go, we pilot hundreds of thousands of houses across the country and say, use our technology to see the difference, we'll help you buy a heat pump. If the government is strapped for cash, corporations like IBM who have that social responsibility can do it. I don't know if that is a scheme that's available. It's, it's, it, that works in Italy because I know in Italy heat pumps yeah. are being, it's a private, public-private partnership. Uh, like a collaboration, yes. Yes, yeah, and, and it's working where the, the, the people who benefit from the heat pump are given 10 years to, to make the payment. So it makes mm. it affordable. It makes it more economical. Yeah. Very good. Sorry, sorry, Mahir. Please uh, back, back back to you. You were talking about the the climate solutions and the practical aspects of it and what we need to look at. Mahir, do we? Ah, I think we might have lost Mahir. Oh, we, we will try and get, we'll reconnect. Um, yeah. We will try and, and and reconnect Mahir. And if in fact um, um, we would love for you to come up with any questions, if you have any question in mind about AI and sustainability and climate change, we would uh, love for you to call Mahir. 0208-687-7878 or you yeah. can join us on uh, you can ask your question on our social media yeah. platforms at Voice of Islam UK or you can email us um, uh, on uh, <coughs> www.voiceofislam.co.uk I love it I mean also we'd be interested to know what people have been doing themselves yes. what changes uh, yep. they're making I know recently there's been a uh, now announced a policy government policy that will come into play at the end of the year around October that single use of plastics will now be gone yeah. Uh, that's not so much in, for example, in retail outlets where you have packaged food that goes on the shelf. That won't be included. But at home um, and, and at the restaurants, etc., cetera, uh, they're pushing that way. Single use of plastics will, will, will go because all this needs to, to happen. Right. We can. There are good quality, reusable, um, made out of wood. I mean, I go now conferences, for example, and they're not giving plastic. They're giving cardboard or mm. they're giving reasonably strong uh, paper type utensils to although it doesn't taste nice you know but but you can still use a steel uh, spoon but people are, are accepting that change yeah I agree and I know we got me here back as well yeah. I just wanted to make one, one, one point I want to make is this is all great right we're doing all of this yeah. but then what's my incentive for the common person on the high street right going shopping going to a restaurant, what's my incentive, right? I am a selfish person at the end of the day, right? So how are you going to incentivize me to make sure that I am going to be adhering to all of this? Now, I'll tell you why. There was a deterrent that was put on plastic bags. You pay 5p, you pay 10p. That deterred people. Great. But then give me a carrot. 
right? Uh, is, do you think there is any, and Mahir, welcome back, but, you know, do you think there are any incentives out there that would really, you know, attract me towards, you know what, I need to be a bit more climate conscious? Yeah, I think this is a really good point. And individual incentives and corporate incentives are essential. I'm, I'm, dis- I'm very disappointed with government policy at the moment. It literally lacks incentives, uh, lack of imagination, to be honest. But if we look at what's happening in Nordics, for example, they've got a, a you know, scheme that's been running for some time, the plastic bank, where if you're going to buy a, a, a bottle of Coke or any other soft drink, um, you're paying an extra uh, 10 cents or um, a 10p, whatever, as as a deposit. So when you finish with the drink, either hand it back to the kiosk and you get your coupon back or you get a credit, mm-hmm. uh, or someone else will do it for you and they'll get the credit. So the point being is you start to clean up the environment, but you also hand back and whatever is recyclable can be recycled. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that this, this needs broader incentives. I mean, you mentioned the plastic bag situation. I think that's made a big difference. Of course, we moved on to lifetime bags, which is another problem, but still less than uh, less than we had before. But what, one area I think we can um, we can work on is this whole concept of um, yeah, in terms of uh, incentivizing um, our purchase of packaging materials. When we buy fruit and veg or whatever we buy from the supermarket, have a look at the material where it's coming. We're single-use plastic. I mean, the government is already intending to rule that out and ban it completely. So there's incentive now for you know manufacturers and packaging companies to shift to biodegradable packaging or you know packaging from organic sources like seaweed, for example. Um, so there's moves away, you know, away from plastic plastic and moving to more sustainable sourcing. And, and that's a good thing actually. Uh, Mir, if I may, we, we, as we're on the topic of question of plastics, um, this report um, in, in America uh, Greenpeace found that no plastic, not even soda bottles, which is one of the most used items in America, um, not even soda bottles, um, is, is which is thrown into the recycling bin, meets the threshold to be called recyclable, according to the standards set by uh, the, the, the new plastic econ- economic initiative, because plastic must have a recyclable rate of 30% to reach that standard and no plastic has ever been, and no plastic has ever been recycled and re, and, and reused even close to that yeah. rate. So Yeah, and, and you're right. In in but theory, in theory yet. it's it's working, but we we're not getting to the implementation and the practical bit, are we? Yeah. No, I agree. And there's a combination of policy and technology here. Um because when we look at the actual material used on the plastic uh, it only has a certain cycles of uh, reuse, so it can reuse two, three times max before it becomes uh, unreusable. So, so it's so about cost, isn't it? It's about it's too yeah. expensive to do it. Yeah. So the way to do it is you have to incentivize the um, R and D work, the innovation. Um, there are there's many examples of startups around the world that are coming up with alternative materials. This material science is really a hot area right now. We can look at you know organic sources of Material. Someone talked about cutlery. I mean, I, I went on holiday recently, and we stayed in an apartment. It made a very clear point to each of us you know, in the family: we're not going to use single-use plastic. We're going to use uh, biodegradable cutlery because obviously we're away from home, and that worked. It was, you know, it wasn't expensive at all. It was easy to use and easy to compost. I put it in a safe place so it could be, you know, for disposed of carefully, um, and that that helped, you know, not only our consciousness but also 
it helped the environment. It was a practical step that we took. So it's awareness, education, it needs to start from grassroots. Yeah. It needs to be part and parcel of parenting, I suppose, and education. Absolutely. That that uh, these are habits which people uh, must um, kind of adapt um, for, yeah. for, 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 for long-term, view, better futures. There's an interesting question that was asked by one of the major leading newspapers about wind farm. You know, do you find, do you think that wind time turbos are ugly? Because that's one of the things, you know, you talked about what's going to change the mindset of people. Mm. And actually the results came back that um, 63% thought they were ugly. And uh, But in the scheme of things, is that relevant? I, I, that's a good question. But you should just implement it because the challenge mm. is, is more, more needed. But it's that mindset. Because mm. we're trying to change the mindset of people. Yeah. I actually think they look quite good. A sea of wind farm look really good to me. I don't have a problem with them. But 63%. You uh, know why? Because you see the benefit they bring. Yeah. So you're, as much as, even if you didn't like them, you would say you like them because you can appreciate the benefit they bring. Very good point. Yeah. Because how I would, how would I, how would I, the common mm-hmm. person on the yeah. street, paying the bills, see the benefit if my bills go down? Yes. Yeah. And I said, yeah. wow. Okay. Because of that. Exactly. It's, you're it's how it's right. explained. It's about the mindset. Right? It's about so. how it's explained. And I think the, 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 the way the public is reached on it needs to change. The awareness campaigns, they need to be on TV every day. They, instead of adverts, they need to be like, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. You know, um, kind of use the media in a in a kind of crazy way. Yeah, and and I, again, as I said, you know, there are, I I think there has to be a carrot for us. You know, that the, the because it's the carrot is you will leave a better future for your children. That shouldn't they shouldn't in reality they but, shouldn't but, be a better carrot but, than that. But yeah, uh, I totally agree with the because of the statistics that yeah. I just showed. That's right. You know, talked about in the beginning of the program. But at the end of the day, uh, what matters to someone now in the present is how am I going to feed my my family? Uh, how am I going to pay my bills? You know, we have a huge issue, a huge energy crisis, right? Um, and if there was any point in time, I think, where there's supposed to be a big splash to say, by the way, we're going to create this sustainable solution for our country and the impact is going to be that you're See, going to I have an less. answer to that. The people who suffer are not the one causing it which is most of the third world, and they've learned to live with it over mm. decades. Mm. For 30 years, all we've done is COP 1 to 27 and then increased the problem. The people who don't know how to live with it are the ones who've created it. Mm. And now they are suffering the problems which they started, the effects of the industrial industrialization. They're the ones. But majority of the world, you know what? They've been living with it and coping with it. Uh, and, and they will I learn to say cope they're coping with it. with it. No, no, but, but in the sense on, on in the individual basis. No, no, of course yeah. there is. But but they've been doing it for thirty years. But we're going to carry on this conversation after the um, you know after we're going to take uh, eleven o'clock. Absolutely, it's just for our listeners. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, and here, please st- stay with us for the next half hour. Uh, in the next section, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, what are organisations doing today to to tackle this. Um, and uh, we're going to be then talking about AI and how that could potentially uh, help us as well. So please stay tuned. Yep, uh, and uh, you know, join us. Give us a call on 0208 678 7878 after the 11 o'clock news.
أكبر أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمدا You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live at Generation X with myself, Kayum, Brother Hanif, and Brother Adil, and joining us. We've got the pleasure of Mihir Gore, who is a specialist in AI, climate change, sustainability, um, uh, um, a very, very experienced um, engineer, senior engineer at IBM and a colleague of our brother, Adil Zafar. We uh, have been talking about sustainability, climate change and how AI is going to be um, um, part and parcel of the solution as to how we move forward and, and, and give a, and leave a better future for our younger, for our kids and the future generations. So, so, so thank you, Kumi Pei. So, I guess um, as we go into the uh, the last half hour of the of the of this particular segment, mm-hmm. the one question I have when we talked about the issues with climate change, the impact it's having, we talked about some of the solutions. But Mahir, I have a question in terms of. What are organizations today doing about this? Because they're the biggest catalysts of change. We talked about, you know, where you said you went on holiday and they were the first thing that the hotel, you know, clearly stated you are not going to get, you're going to get uh, utensils in this way, but we're, they're going to be more compostable, for example, right? So yeah. what are organizations today <clears throat> doing, which you're helping, by the way, through technology, they're really interested to hear some of those stories. Um, what, 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 yeah. what are they doing, and what that, what, what is the impact that it's having? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, it, it's, let me let me give you a bit of a picture. So, organizations are some are enlightened and some are laggards. Okay, so we're going to have a spectrum of people who get it and people who don't. But this pendulum is swinging towards people who get it, which is great news because that's been incentivized for the 2015 Paris Agreement, previous COPs. And even in COP26, in October 21, um, there was a, a Mark Carney, previous Bank of England, mobilized um, you know, institutions, banks, uh, finance institutions, and so forth, to, to uh, free up $131 trillion of cash. It's a lot of money, and it's all buried within various types of investments, pensions, and everything else. Um, and that money was supposed to be, and still is, available for uh, pivoting away from you know, fossil fuel economy to a renewable energy economy. Uh, and that's the kind of uh, ambition that people are setting themselves. So let's take a typical example of a company. Uh, what used to happen in the company, they used to have the annual report for investor relations and say to investors, please come and invest my, in my company. I make product X, Y, Z. Here's my ambition. Here's my plan. Uh, and, and so forth. So that was the way they attract uh, investment. Alongside that investment relation uh, book was a, another publication called Corporate Social Responsibility Book. That was an additional chapter. It was a bit of a tick in the box for some. For others, it was something much more meaningful, um, which talked about what they're going to do in a societal way. That's now changing. Now, the regulators, in, uh, analysts, the various types of organizations, government bodies, and so forth, are now focusing on standards and frameworks. 
which is now incentivizing companies to move towards something called ESG reports, Environmental, Social and Governance. Mm. Now, that's what that is. It's just a categorization of um, activity the companies must uh, subscribe to in order to meet, meet their sustainability objectives. Now, a lot of companies are taking this very seriously. It's part of their investment relations. If you open up an ISA tomorrow or if you open up a bank account tomorrow, you might do some checks on that institution or that investment to say, where's that money actually going? Are you funding uh, a deforestation campaign or are you funding renewable energy? And so the, the thing to look for is those ESG reports. Those are very important reports, actually. They'll give you much more insight from a company perspective what they're doing. So that's a starting position. And then from there, we start to talk about execution or plan. What are you doing about materials, packaging, uh, taking care of your people, uh, looking at equality, looking at emissions, and looking at waste. But those are the three areas I think um, companies are going yeah. forward with. So, Mihir, just on that, you know, we had COP27. One of the kind of outcomes for COP uh, in Egypt was that a commitment that was uh, done by developed countries to provide kind of financial support to poorer ones that have suffered from the damage for climate change. Is that part of the money that Barkhani has put aside will go towards that? So that's different. That's, um, and that's another big uh, ambition. So back in 2009, uh, we had a, a, another COP. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't, wasn't very successful because there wasn't much of an agreement in that one. Hmm. But one of, the, one of the things that was agreed is $100 billion a year uh, allocation to help developing countries, the poorest countries, to avoid continued investment in fossil fuels, to leapfrog that right. legacy technology, uh, and, and move away from, and, and start to adopt progressive technologies to modernize their economy. Um, the developed countries in the global north never uh, fulfill that. It might get fulfilled this year, uh, or maybe mm. next year, but one of the things that came off that is this loss and damage fund. So COP27, which finished in November, 2022, did agree on a mechanism for funding loss and damage. However, even now, unfortunately, they haven't said who's paying up and how much. But the mechanism is in place, which is good news. But it depends, right? There's a lot of work to be done still to, to execute on that, on that ambition. Mihir, I, I have a question, and it's, it's a question that uh, is something I was asking the brothers in the studio, and, and they said, feel free to ask, because no one's really been able to give me a satisfactory answer. When when uh, diesel cars were brought in, the governments went, oh, diesel is the best thing since sliced bread, the, 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 the future is diesel. And then a couple of decades down the line, oh, it's the worst thing. It's killing us. Now we're yeah. talking about electric. But yeah. no one talks about lithium, um, the extraction of lithium poisons water. Um, it's already done. I mean, they've tried in Argentina where... Uh, people have died. In fact, supposedly, allegedly, villages have died because where they found lithium, they tried to extract it and, and it poisoned the source of the water. Lithium is very, it's, it's literally impossible to to um, to recycle. It's, uh, um, some say, it's worse than diesel. Is it the solution? Is it, uh, uh, or is it another uh, stepping stone? Is it a money-making thing? Isn't, we, we talk about um, energy, um, Hydrogen cars have been around for a while, and they have proven to be less damaging than something like lithium. What, what, what is happening? Is it, is it not a big corp kind of looking at money, money, money? Um, or is, uh, is, is lithium really the solution? 
Yeah, I still think the question actually is there was um, so I think I'm going to break that answer down into three parts. Please. So what went wrong with that? What went wrong with diesel? Uh, what is the CM all about? And then I'll touch on hydrogen. So on diesel, you're correct. In early in early noughties, uh we were all told go for diesel. Uh, the energy density is higher. The range is longer. The amount of uh, uh, you know productive use of your car will be longer. So you can do much more mileage um, with you know, fewer fewer um, fill points. However, over the years, what we saw is um, a couple of bad things happened. One was uh, cars were becoming less efficient. They were cheating on the emission standards from the EU CAP and other uh, standard setting organizations. And there are some notable examples of, of uh, cheating mm. going on with emissions. Mm. Then what we also found out is that nitrogen oxide is a very, very difficult um, substance. It was actually quite dangerous. It's got, just got, um, it generates particulate matter, PM matter, uh, which actually goes into the atmosphere. It, you, know, you absorb it into your breathing, into your lungs. It's, it's molecular size. It actually damages the tissue of your uh, lung fiber. So it actually creates a tremendous amount of uh, problems for your health. If you're asthmatic, I'm asthmatic. It, it's hell, right? It really is bad stuff. So uh, diesel became the, the enemy. And then so people started saying, look, let's shift to petrol, let's shift to hybrid. And then that sort of happened over the last 10 years or so. Now with lithium on the table, um, the, the, the thing about e- electric cars, you, you know, Elon Musk was, I'll you know, credit him where, where credit is due. He really pushed the envelope around EVs. I mean, he was, you know, if you saw that documentary on player, yeah. tells you a very good story about his, uh, his history. Definitely. Um, but 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 what he's done is he's picked up on lithium. It is high density. It's widely available. It's cheap to uh, access and produce. Um, it's it's very pervasive across the Earth's crust. So it's it's not uh, like a rare earth. It's it's quite um, uh, available. The challenge is the the governance and the control points around extraction from mines is out of control and has been for years. Mm. Uh, there are many examples of people mining in the you know, Democratic Republic of Congo and right. yeah. uh, parts of uh, parts of the other you know, rainforest areas around the world, which are causing tremendous damage. Uh, local communities are decimated by this uh, lawlessness around extraction. However, with the um, focus on sustainability, and I mentioned ESG already, there is obligation on companies, whether it's automotive companies and um, uh, manufacturing companies, to really explain where they're sourcing this this material from not only lithium, but other types of metals and raw, uh, raw materials, how are they getting it? It's not just the upstream vendor, upstream supplier, but where are they getting their stuff from? Because this impacts their ESG record, right? So if they want to look good, get access to the information, start disclosing, and if you need to make decisions around supply changes, then change the supply chain. What about, what the, about the, the poisoning um, aspect of the, the, of the water source when mining yes, for yes, lithium? Yes, yeah, exactly. So if, it, if it's uncontrolled mining, which is what is happening so far, then you have tremendous risks around the local water table, uh, safety concerns, um, health issues, uh, lots of... And, and remember, lithium in the periodic table is reactive metal. Mm. Uh, you mess around with water, you're into dangerous situations. Yeah. So you've got to handle with care, right? Yeah. And so it, it is a, a, a volatile substance. It has to be extracted safely. Uh, because of the rush toward the EV, and, and uh, we understand the rush because we need to move away from fossil fuels. But if you do so in an uncontrolled way, you have these uh, secondary impacts. Which is, is it very, is it a um, long-term difficult. solution or is it a stepping stone? No, I think it's actually uh, evolving. I wouldn't say it's the final stake. 
Okay. Uh, if you look at the latest papers, um, we are moving to solid state batteries soon, which will have faster charge times. You won't have to wait, um, what is it, three hours or six hours for charging your car anymore. You can charge your car in 10 minutes. I mean, that's the future. Okay. Uh, wow. it being at the in some manufacturers are looking at it. I, I would say I don't have an EV car. I'm just waiting for version three or version four <laughs> before I get one. But I would say uh, it is evolving. I think within the next two years, you're going to see some tremendous uh, progression steps taking forward here. Yeah, Mihir, thanks for that answer because that was a really critical point in many of our discussions right. with me yeah. and Kayum about yeah. climate change and sustainability. And you know, you've really hit the nail on the head there with that one. Um, I, I just wanted to take it uh, another way because, uh, you know, you mentioned about your holiday um, and how you can, you know, how you decided to be a bit more user friendly. But there is this new uh, trend of ethical travel companies, isn't there, that are choosing to give travellers the opportunity to give a positive contribution to their destination by holidaying in sort of areas where they can really get into the kind of nitty gritty of, you know, like small group adventures. And and I think one company that comes to mind is in Intrepid Travel. Uh, and there are many others as well. But do you think that's another way to change the mindset of people? Uh, and do you think it's only the youngsters that are really open to these type of ideas to go on holidays, say, you know, do a trip from I don't know, say, for example, you could go from trip to go and see Kathmandu from a trip from Delhi and how you would do that and how you would travel. Or, you know, you could go somewhere to undiscover mountains and live like you would live as a, as someone back in the days, you know, from a the nomad, pagans. Right? Or, or, or a nomad. Do you think these yeah. are kind of ways we can change the mindset of people to enjoy? Because obviously, the reason why I say this if we do go through and we do not solve this problem, we will end up having to live like that rather than choose to go on holiday and live like that. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, actually. And, you know, if you think about holidays, traditional holidays, it is extremely resource-intensive. Everything from the flight to the hotel and the, the amount of waste that's generated in the whole experience. So we might come back, come back with a nice suntan and a little bit of a mental refresh. Uh, but the, the impact mostly left behind, it, it can be substantial. Um, so there is a there is a trend towards you know eco tourism and sustainable tourism, where the idea is not just turning up and experiencing the environment that you're in, which is a good thing, but also giving back. Right. So the idea mm. is to engage with the local community, engage with them in terms of you know sharing experiences, engaging with the culture, immersing yourself in that environment, living like how they live but also contributing and making sure that you don't leave behind anything um, that, that is wasteful. Right? Yeah. So minimize your footprint when you're in that location. Be respectful of as a guest. Right? If you if turn up in my house, be a guest. <laughs> don't trash the place. So that's the idea. Like justice travel, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's brilliant. absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Cause yeah. and effect, right? Yeah. So you've, you've caused... So, what? You, you've yeah. tra- traveled to this... One thing I was going to say. Yeah, go on. Sorry, yeah. I was just going to say one thing. There is there is one area which is a bit difficult, which is around flights. Um, mm. If you look, think about the average flight, you know, whether it's to the Mediterranean, long haul, wherever you might go, um, flights are very carbon intensive. Um, there is a big market out there around carbon offsetting. I'll be cautious about that. Um, be careful how it's offsetted. You know, a lot of marketing companies say, look, hey, uh, pay another ten dollars or ten pounds, and we'll, we'll plant a tree. 
Hmm. That is a little bit, okay, good idea, but I need to see some governance around that. How is it being managed that's, and managed to yeah, be, that's, be the, you know, accountable for it? Yeah, Mahir, that's a really good point. There's two things I want to mention. One was um, great that, you know, it's a cause and effect. So you're going on holiday, but you've got to offset it by doing certain activities that will sort of, you'll get a net zero effect of your travel, right? But I guess... Yeah. The second question, the, the second comment was really, is there any apps out there? And you then started talking about, you know, be cautious about these, you know, carbon offsetting, uh, you know, where you pay extra for it. But are there any apps out there where you, where a person like myself can track my own carbon footprint to make sure that if I do take flights, I make sure that I bring my carbon footprint to net zero, right? So do you have any I, apps? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't actually, but I think this is a good marketplace. A good market opportunity. So yeah, maybe well, you know, that's comedy. your that's your new project. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're that's looking for project, sorry, yeah. I patented it already. Yeah, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, patent won't mean anything yeah. until it gets done. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Mayor, on this on this question about um, flights. Is is there a new kind of fuel? Like, because obviously, aviation industry uses kerosene, doesn't it? It's not the standard yeah. fuel that we use. Is there a more efficient way of doing it? Because yeah. I think there were some battery-operated aeroplanes as well that are coming yeah. through that didn't have to use it. Is that a solution for like short-haul flights? And is yeah. that more more so, efficient? Exactly. So this is where you're on the frontier of uh, innovation curve right now. So that's a very good point. So there is this concept around sustainable aviation fuel which is often sourced from bio, biomass, where there's cooking oil, waste materials, uh, plant matter, uh, even waste food, right? All of that can be cemented and you know uh, regenerated into into um, uh, ethanol, essentially, that we can use for, for uh, sustainable aviation fuel. There are many technologies in the mix, in the background, to make it happen. Uh, the idea is to net off. So if you said, um, let's take corn or um, other types of you know, biomaterial, they, when they grow in the in agricultural landscape, they're actually absorbing CO2, and then that's netted off with the consumption through the flight. So in other words, you're not adding any more CO2 in the atmosphere because you're using this SAF technology. Um, more work needed, but I think a lot of the uh, aviation companies are looking at it. You know, I, I think uh, Boeing Concord, and so forth. Concord are, are back mm. developing um, this the electric. Mm. They, they, the, uh, yeah. yeah, and they're saying London to New York three hours. Three hours. Yeah, yeah. So this, this is the other thing, right? So electric is mm-hmm. the, the issue with the electric battery in the plane is is the weight ratio. Mm. So you don't get. Right. Um, it's uneconomical to pack up a plane with lots of batteries and get going. Um, uh, you just won't. You won't last long because you won't take off. Or you, you'll have slight issues. Remember, you have to fly at a certain height to be efficient. If sure. you fly at like 10,000 feet, it's not enough. My, my, my question earlier about hydrogen, Mir, Japan has aimed, has got a target of having 800,000 hydrogen cars in Japan yeah. uh, by 2030. China has a, a target of a million hydrogen cars so i suppose my question really isn't is it the future or or um yeah it's been around we've heard about it for the past few decades yeah. that it's been around yeah um yeah so to me logical thinking would say it probably will become a competitive um, industry to electric but why yeah. isn't it already competitive yeah so let me give you a bit of a, uh, an answer so let's talk about generation and let's use talk about consumption so in the generation process, there's different colored hydrogen. You might have heard of it. It's called you know, gray, blue, green, yeah, yeah. pink. 
That's right. And these different types of hydrogen is depending on where they're sourced from. So the one to go for is green hydrogen, which is from renewable energy, like wind turbines. You use the energy from wind turbines to generate electricity, to then use that in electrolysis to separate oxygen and hydrogen, and then you use that in the hydrogen fuel cell for the car or the vehicle. Uh, it, it is a, 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 you know expensive, but it, it, it works in the most uh, least impactful way. The other colors I mentioned are coming from either fossil fuels or nuclear. Now, with that done, we then go into the, the, the downstream process of consuming it. Uh, the problem with cars is that there is an efficiency issue. Like you have to, uh, you know, get the hydrogen fuel cell just set up. The, um, the, the, the range is an issue at the moment. I mean, this is changing. There is an issue on safety because obviously hydrogen being hydrogen in cars, if you have a knock, um, although the, set, the fuel cell is becoming stronger, it's still an issue sometimes. Uh, and managing the hydrogen in the fuel pumps and depots is also a risk. Having said that, hydrogen has a real purpose in terms of heavy manufacturing, like for example cement or, or steelworks, or even heavy uh, vehicle transfers or haulage, for example. And I think that's where the future is. So we're going to have a mix of technologies, a combination of hydrogen in the manufacturing and in the heavy haulage industry, and then you have electric uh, for your day-to-day -day, you know, cars and bikes and, and so forth. Oh, one more question before I hand over to Brother Adil Hanif. We, we, I'm, I'm just off the air. I was talking to Brother Adil and question came to mind was about CO2. I would love to be uh, part of that company who, who, who uses CO2 as a main ingredient uh, to develop something. Yeah. Because, yeah. because we, we talk about reducing CO2. Isn't there anything out there or is in motion or is um, there's feasibilities happening where CO2 as a product, as an ingredient of a finished product, um, would kind of solve the problem, if I'm, if I'm yeah. kind of questioning it correctly? Yeah, and CO2 is fundamental to, you know, all sorts of industries, whether it's, you know, food and beverage, think about the fizzy pops and the soft drinks. Uh, think about um, some alcoholic. I mean, yeah, but um, but what I'm saying is that in the food and beverage industry, oil and gas uses CO2 for yeah. um, enhancing oil, you know, oil recovery. I'm not a fan of oil and gas situation in this case, but it is used traditionally in that sense. But the think about um, steelworks, they use CO2 uh, extensively for you know manufacturing the steel product. Um, and, and but, but, but nothing on an industrial thing. scale, like to the point where it balances out the, da you know, it, it's not causing damage, but it's will we stay at point zero. It's it's it, there's well, nothing the out thing. there, this, is the, there? So the, I think what, what I'm saying is that there's a number of industry um, processes that use CO2 extensively. I don't think we can eliminate that. Mm. So one of the topics that comes up time and time again is this concept of CCUS carbon capture, usage, and storage. Yeah. Now, if we can uh, capture carbon, whether it's from you know, energy generation or whether it's from you know, direct air capture, for example, which is another emerging technology, and it can, it can um, liquefy that, if you can condense it and store it properly, and use it in industrial manufacturing processes safely, and account for it so it's not escaping into the atmosphere, that is okay. But it has to be well managed. It has to be accounted for every step of the way. And that's why you need transparency, uh, traceability, auditability of every one of these uh, production processes, right? from source, you know, 
to consumption. Okay. Um, Another, we've got lots of CO2. What about water? I mean, are are there not systems where we can get to split the water and give us hydrogen uh, and replace the butane gas that comes when we want to cook some food? Is that not a new technology? There's more water. Is there more water than carbon dioxide? I don't know. But it's another great resource, right? Yeah, so as we said earlier in hydrogen, you, you know, you split the um, the water molecule and hydrogen is used um, in those you know, green hydrogen ideally used in manufacturing and, and heavy heavy industry. The oxygen is obviously used uh, widely, whether it's medical applications or even uh, farming and so forth. Um, but then, yeah, water is, is actually a finite resource, believe it or not. You were surrounded by water, 70% of the planet is water. But the issue is we are dependent on fresh water. Um, and that's, you know, in, in limited places. So, for example, with the current uh, temperature-wise, you know, and we talk about 1.5, we're hitting the threshold at which glaciers are maintained. We're hitting thresholds that we don't even have snow in the Alps anymore. So forget about skiing for now. Um, and you're dealing with uh, a really uh, difficult situation where water is scarce, actually. So managing water and managing... Uh, the life cycle of water from sourcing it through the aquifers into uh, recycling water through the sewage process really, really important. And I think that's where technology is going to play a role. Mm. So, so Mihir, um I just want to turn this uh, a little bit towards technology now. What are the technology solutions that we have? And I know you mentioned some of them, but in particular, I want to focus on artificial intelligence. Now, that is something which is now you know, so common it's on our phones, and I'm um, here. You and I were talking about um, a particular technology that's uh, that surfaced, that could be quite revolutionary, right, um, for yeah. us. Yeah. But I just wanted to tap into your knowledge base on, you know, what is, you know, what's your view on um, how AI is going to help address the, these sustainability challenges, right, and that businesses yeah. are facing today, and even what we're facing today. Correct. So let me give you a bit of a, a one-on-one on what is AI, so everybody's on the same page. Um, AI is not new. It's been around for decades in terms of how it could work. Right? What has changed in the last five years is the adoption of cloud and big data, the volume of data generated from every single activity you can think of with social media or you driving around or whether you're shopping or any activity generates data. So the combination is data and the cloud has led us to this situation. We've got a vast amount of data, but they're scalable across multiple platforms, whether it's you know uh, your Microsoft Cloud or AWS Cloud, or any type of cloud that you operate on uh, and that businesses use. That has led to a situation where we can now convert the concepts around AI that were there since the 70s into real applications that we can consume today. And there are three points around AI. One is uh, machine learning. So this is an algorithm or a program, essentially, to, to scan that data set, it's unstructured data, structured data, you know, high variety data, all sorts of different patterns of data. And machine learning is able to then interpret and categorize and, and analyze that data at speed, at scale, using the cloud capabilities. A, a subfield of machine learning is something called deep learning, where you use things like neural networks, basically nodes in a network of computing capability. So to really go into a particular vertical silo and understand really how that works, whether it's image recognition, whether it's video recognition, and then from there, start looking at patterns and make predictions. 
Uh, and on the back of that is another concept called reinforcement learning, where you train the algorithm to get rewarded for correct analysis, and you, you disincentivize it for incorrect analysis. So, you know, carrot and stick, to give it to the algorithm to say, hey, that's a great cat picture. Uh, wrong, that's not a cat, that's a dog, <laughs> and so forth. And so you start to train the algorithm with vast amount of data, and it, it takes a bit of time, but you can automate a lot of this training through machine learning, through deep learning, to the point where you get very sophisticated forms of AI now becoming quite clever. Uh, in the past, an AI would be something like, um, uh, you know, run this app or uh, you know, book, a, book a reservation for me, a restaurant or something, uh, using a, a booking application. But today, you have sophisticated chatbot capabilities. And I think what you were alluding to is you know, a recent announcement that came out in November uh, 22. Uh, which is from the open AI group called ChatGPT. Um, and this, to me, and I've been looking at this all week, actually, it's my favorite topic for the last couple of weeks, that this is a step change in the level of interaction and conversation you can have with a chatbot. You can ask any open question, and I literally mean any, and you get a, a well-documented answer, we'll say a couple of paragraphs, maybe a bit longer, that is thought through in natural language as if someone was talking to you. That's what's scary. So we're in this domain of natural language becoming quite pervasive with chatbots, using vast amount of data, using machine learning and AI to give you information at speed and scale. And by the way, every time I ask this question to the chatbot, I will get a response in less than two seconds. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's it's that scale that that, that is. I, I I read I, I I in fact one of the reasons why I contacted Brother Adil was. The day I heard uh, Radio 4, BBC Radio 4 did an extensive right, yeah. um, a show on exactly what you've just said. Um, yeah. The response time of the chatbot was, was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Do, do you think that would, obviously, that would worry many people? Exactly. Well, it um, did, which is why uh, I contacted yeah. Brother uh, brother yeah. and, and, and I asked about right. who's Watson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yeah, Watson is the engine behind yeah. all of this. Five years. But what I want to ask is, do you think that government has a responsibility to put in policy to say very clearly that you are talking to um, an artificial intelligence because they're trying to make the voice sound so much like human that you, you're unable to... Work it out. And many times when you're yeah. doing a search engine, it asks you, I, I am not a robot, and you've got a ticket, or it asks you some intelligent yeah. questions. I'm sure the artificial intelligence will be able to work that out anyway, right? So I know, exactly. Yeah, so, you're right. I mean, this is where, this is where governance is. So currently, policy and governance is lagging behind technology. And there's a, there's a widening gulf, right? And I, I really believe that our policymakers need to really get up on, on top of this because they're going to get left behind. The, the innovation curve is moving at pace. Um, chat DBT, the next versions in the next couple of years will be doing far more capability. So you know, you're right, unless we have some guardrails and controls and guidelines, policy statements in place, we might get into un unintended consequences, which is, worries me, right? Uh, it's something Elon Musk talks about sometimes in a in, in big sense of, of the word, but we do need to have a sensible, responsible AI uh, one of the things we talk about in IBM is responsible and trusted AI, which is all about putting governance and stewardship. So having accountability of the data set, declaring what trained data is used for generating the AI, and being transparent around the usage and the use cases. And how good are um, you policing yourself? Well, this is the thing. It's for us internally, 
uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a violation of our code of conduct. We call it you know business conduct guidelines. We sign it every year. If we misbehave on AI, it's a you know it's a, a sackable offence. Uh, so we have very strong controls in China, and we need to keep that on on top of that. But also more broadly, as we go to customers, we say to customers, we don't ever own your data. You own your data. You're responsible for it. You give permission to us for us to use it and train it for for the use cases you have in mind. I'm sure a lot of people will ask a question: What's the source of knowledge of chatbot? Who's, yeah, and this who's, is where this is end of the, the day, um, someone's got to be giving it the information. Yeah, and this is where this this transparency and trusted AI and trusted data is essential. Essential because you're right. You know, if you ask a question, you know. Uh, you know, asking weather forecast is one thing, but if you're going to ask about making predictive analytics and say, what is my sales data going to look like in six months' time? Or what is, um, should I make, should I promote person X, Y, Z in this role? And if you've got bias in that AI, baked in because some analyst decided that uh, a certain color of person is more preferable than another, that's wrong, right? And we know that's wrong, but that sometimes gets baked in. So we have to be very, very careful and mindful that we put in policies, control points, checks and balances as we develop the training data and then develop the AI algorithm. So, so when so when uh, somebody calls up and and you know and talks to chat about what's what's tomorrow's uh, lottery numbers? <laughs> well, yeah, so no, I wish I knew it's, that. It's a, exactly it's a, right. it's, a, it's a, it is something people will do. I mean, yeah, we we well, are talking. I mean, I think it's a relevant question that brother Hanif asked about regulation. Because we know yeah. whenever there is something uh, good, then there are there's the, there's the opposite element where people will abuse a system, people will manipulate, people will um, um, kind of use it in a bad way. So, um, you know, what's the pros and the cons here? This is where again it goes back to this policy statement, and we have to have this. Like, if you think about one example, I'll give one example. Um, a, a few years ago, there was a rampant use of data, personal data, your data, my data was rampantly used by companies, you know, your location, you went shopping here, you bought that, you bought this, company knew about it, and it was uncontrolled. The EU came up with this concept of GDPR, right? So the policy change that says, you have to be giving the individual the right to forget their data or forget um, that you have their data, so the right to forget was important, <clears throat> the right to declare and transfer data back to the individual was important. Mm. And if it didn't comply, it meant 4% of revenue of your whole company would be the penalty. And if you're dealing with the likes of the big tech companies, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. Penalty. So that became an incentive to behave. Okay. And, and that's the kind of thing you have to do in the context of AI. So, so Mihir, just to, just to bring you back to, um, to, to AI, are you aware of what work, uh, obviously you would be, of what work IBM is doing in terms of climate change using AI in particular? Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is where I'm, I'm really keen to talk a little bit about this. So there's, there's a number of areas, right? So think of every single industry we work in. We work in the industrial sector. We work in uh, CPG, consumer products, retail. Uh, we work in utilities and so many other financial services. Every one of these industries we work in, uh, there are some common use cases and there are some industry-specific use cases. Just calling them out one by one. So predictive analytics commonly use ability to look at data sets, predict next one month, six months, one year worth of um, analysis and say what can be done 
to optimize through profit, um, productivity, and so forth. So that's, that's the type of analytics there. In the context of sustainability, of course, when I start looking at things around supply, supply chain disruption or how to reduce your emissions, how to reduce waste, using predictive modeling to do that safely are the kinds of use cases we're beginning to see. Similarly, in the manufacturing process, how do you predict the consumption of energy? Right? If you reduce your energy footprint, that means less cost, more efficiencies, less waste. Similarly, in the supply chain, 80% of emissions come from the supply chain in general. So what can we do to decarbonize the supply chain and use predictive analytics, uh, environmental monitoring, looking at asset base, your factory, your warehouses, reduce energy consumption, and really start thinking about reducing uh, cost of storage when it comes to managing the supply of goods and materials right through the supply chain. And the last example is probably uh, forecasting how energy, particular renewable energy, will help uh, reduce your emission footprint or carbon footprint. We know renewables can be, um, it, you know, what's the word, um, intermittent because, you know, it's ups and downs. Sun is not always shining. So can you offset that with battery technology? So you have a constant supply as you start to operate your business. And using AI to predict peaks and troughs in that whole um, energy consumption uh, model is another use case. And it goes on and on. There's so many other examples I can give you. Fantastic. Listen, we've uh, we've almost reached... Uh, to the end and I know you need to you need to drop off as well I really appreciate the time uh, that you've given today it's been enlightening for me certainly and and certainly for my my two colleagues here Um, even though they've been saying that you know drink lots of uh, coffee I don't think you nodded off once it it was about coffee was about you not me here (laughs) 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 we we, we were 100% engaged absolutely fantastic A pleasure. Great to have you on the show. Uh, and I really enjoyed the session. I really enjoyed it. Well, we hope to have you back, Mir. Yeah. I mean, artificial intelligence is something that uh, we know is the future. It is part and parcel yeah. of our everyday life. So we yeah. would we would love to have you back um, while we you know continue with the, with the picking and and talking and and picking points out uh, as to, and try to educate and and make people aware of the benefits yeah. of AI in their everyday life. Yeah. So thank you so much. Brilliant. Um, it's been a pleasure. Okay. Um, wish I know you have to run, so um, uh, um, wishing you a fantastic weekend. Peace be on you. Thank you very much. All the best to you guys too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. Bye bye. So um, just to just to finish off um, this conversation about sustainability, I think it's really important to also look at, you know, what is what does Islam say. Uh, about sustainability, about protecting and, and caring for your environment. And I want to read off um, a few hadiths, which are the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of, of Allah be upon him. Um, Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, reported that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, the world is sweet and green, and verily Allah is going to install you as vicegerents in it in order to see how you act. That's from Sahih Muslim. Uh, Based on this hadith, one of the many lessons we can extract is that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, showed much care and concern towards the environment and aimed at caring and protecting it wholeheartedly. Through this hadith, too, uh, he reminds us that how we all are vicegerents with a great duty to serve Allah, the Almighty, with great powers and status comes great responsibility. Yeah. 
there is another um, there, there is another um, uh, a hadith as well, which is really focusing on conserving our resources as much as possible. There is a narration by Anas ibn Malik, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, reported that the the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would perform ablution with only one mud, which is a, a half a kilogram of water, and would perform his ritual bath with one sa or two kilograms of water, uh, which is roughly about you know up to up or up to five uh, muds or two and a half kilograms of water. Um, again, this is from uh, Mutafikun uh, Aliya uh, reference. Um. Most of these narrations, what they should demonstrate from an Islamic perspective, mm. is that you know that saving of energy, saving of um, resources that have been given yeah. to us by God Almighty, we have a responsibility towards them, and that's part and parcel of our everyday. And again, it's not just faith; it's our way of life. Exactly. You know, to 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 kind of bring it to twenty twenty three. You gave the beautiful example of the Holy Prophet using one mud. So it's like leaving the tap open. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and this when you're brushing your teeth, that's right. Turn the tap off. Tap off. And and in oh. this particular, the issue was mentioned. We we noticed that the, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was so careful in utilizing natural resources as as a bit ba- you know as basic as water, hmm. using minimal as you said, using minimal amount of and water. And Mihir said it as well. Yeah. How it did, it is a scarce resource when he was talking to yeah. Brother uh, Hanif. Of how we are reliant on fresh water, and there's a re and there's a the scarcity of it. There's a very interesting thing just on that hadith. If you imagine the surroundings of our beloved Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace my peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, what the environment was there hot, hmm. scarce of water, I imagine, in some yeah. places. So, how did he manage to train us and educate us for the times to come today we are facing now? now. Yeah, very interesting, right? Absolutely. It is, and uh, just another example of you know um, talking about uh, sustainability, right? Yeah. So there's a narration by um, uh, Hazrat Asya, Rasulullah, the Hazrat, uh, Asiyah, the, uh, the right wife of I think this is probably. Oh, uh, this is Hazrat Aisha. May Allah Aisha, be pleased with her. She what, basically what she said was that the Holy Prophet Sallam would do what he would do in the house, and she replied to the inquirer that um, you know he did what one of you would do in his house. He mended sandals, patched garments, and sewed, right? So what we can uh, infer from this is that this does not necessarily mean that we have to use the same things until they wear out, but to look at how we can work towards sustainability. We have to be conscious of the things that we use, buy, sell, create, and consume. Uh, and this is important as consumers. This reminds me of the new trend over the past, um, I think it's the past few years, there are repair cafes now. Yeah, amazing. Huh? There are repair cafes, which I think started in Amsterdam, in Holland somewhere. This lady started there, and now they're going, uh, I know in Europe they're, 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 they're catching on where, <clears throat> you know, we had got in, into the bad habit of, ain't working, let's throw it, let's go and get a new one. Yep. Now it's a question of the repair shops are and the cafes yeah. are it's like well it will cost you you know um, insurance companies tend to say it's it's beyond economic repair mm. we have started to use that at home let's throw it get a new one mm. whereas we never think how simple it is but maybe we can fix it ourselves yeah we don't think it 
And also, it's the education side of things. Yes. Because sometimes feel that, oh, I can't fix that. That's way beyond my expertise. It's out of my comfort zone. But actually, we're going to have to retrain ourselves to be able to do it exactly right. I mean, I love this concept you mentioned yeah. about clothes. Oh, my God. what it's, a, it's become a fashionable thing yeah. to be able to. It's convenience we think of instead of. The, um, the the correct message isn't convenience. No, it's yeah, the correct message is the re- you do it anyway with your siblings. You, you swap clothes. That's it. Yep. Like no one's business. Yeah, yeah. And talking yeah. about the technology side of things, which you've been doing, the, the apps out there that allow you very easily to buy and sell your used clothes, not only clothes, but everything, yeah. is, is a way forward as well. It yeah. is. I bet you Watson's behind that as well. Yeah. Probably. I'm really interested. <laughs> you you know, I've never been interested in AI till I, till I listen. <laughs> That list, that program on 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 uh, Watson was amazing yeah. on yeah. on IBM what they did. Yeah, it kind of woke up. A, I'm sure it woke up a lot of people yeah. thinking, what chatbot is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, just just to carry on uh, another narration, mm-hmm. I want to really want to want to bring in is is what's happening today. Um, it's really about planting trees as a means of, of doing good deeds. This is something that you know the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was reported as said. And this has been narrated by by Anas uh, ibn Malik, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, that the Holy Prophet said, there is none amongst the Muslims who plants a tree or sows seeds and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it but is regarded as a charitable gift. Right? This is part and parcel of our, you know, way of life uh, uh, as a Muslim within Islam. So through this... You know, narration. What we can infer is that it demonstrates that every good work and beneficial deed done by any individual will be given a stipulated remuneration and reward. Um, you know, and finally, you know, let's look at the environment. What did the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, talk about in terms of the environment? And you know, there is a wonderful narration by Abu Huraya Huraira. May Allah be pleased with him. Father the, of the cats. Yes. Um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, While a man was walking along a path, he found a thorny branch of a tree on the way and removed it. Allah, the Almighty, thanked him for that deed and forgave him. So, again, it just it's a very small point. You know, it's like moving a rock or a thorn. It means, you know, keeping your environment clean. And you can infer many things from that of what's happening today. We're quite happy to throw a bottle or, yeah. you know, uh, not recycle correctly. You know, all of these things are part and parcel of keeping your environment clean. I think just added to that as well, when we take this topic on, and we move forward with all of this. What I, the point I want to make as well is the point that you're covering is that how it affects the soul. I think this is the other thing that whichever tiny little bit, whatever good deed you do, whatever you try and do, whatever that good feeling about within yourself. And this is kind of like with the wider impacts that we talk about climate change. And there is a, a peace symposium that took place on the 17th of March in 2018. And His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him and continue to be his helping hand. And he's the fifth caliph of our worldwide community. And he said this. He said, in today's world, we often see the major powers and the international institutions make schemes or plans that are aimed at bettering the lives of people around the world. In recent times, one of the issues that many politicians and intellectuals have debated and campaigned about is climate change and specifically the reduction in carbon emissions. 
Certainly, striving to protect the environment and to look after our planet is an extremely precious and noble cause. Yet, at the same time, the developed world, and especially the world's leaders, should also realise that there are other issues that must be tackled within the same urgency. And I'll carry on. There was a lot more in which she said, People living in the world's poorest nations do not concern themselves with the environment or the latest figures on carbon emissions. Rather, they wake up each day wondering if they will be able to feed their children. Their economic plight is truly desperate and the poverty levels are far beyond our comprehension. For example, there are numerous countries where the majority of citizens do not have access to clean drinking water and are forced to survive by using dirty pond water to fulfill their basic needs. Even that, too, is not easily available. Rather, women and children have to travel each day for miles on end to collect for their families, which they carry home in big vessels balanced on their heads and we've all seen these type of pictures haven't we on news reports and and this is our holiness just explaining this more and there's a little bit more in which he said he said we must consider such hardships as other people's problems instead we must realize that the result of such poverty has severe implications for water sorry for severe applications for wider world and directly affects global peace and security the fact that children have no option but to spend their days collecting water for their families means they are unable to go to school or to attain any form of education. They are stuck in a vicious cycle of illiteracy and poverty that is seamlessly endless and hugely damaging to society. Today, there are their poverty and hardship is compounded by modern technology through which even people living in a war-torn or deprived parts of the world are able to see the comfort which with people in developed countries are living and the opportunities that, that exist for them. Witnessing the great disparity in their circumstances compared to others is cultivating further agitation amongst the local people and these frustrations are preyed upon by extremists who entice the impoverished with financial reward by promoting sorry by prom by promising a better life for their families similarly the targeting of illiterate youth means that the extremists have free reign to radicalise and brainwash them. The extremists take advantage of the fact that the rulers of those countries have more often than not failed their people. Wow, what 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 some fantastic words there. <coughs> you mentioned, Brother Adil, mm. the narration of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, about the planting of the tree. His Holiness... Um, I think started this scheme some years ago of uh, planting of the tree and I think it's been a tradition from uh, the from since since the promised messiah on whom be peace from from him to all the way through the caliphates mm. of mm. the Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmad the fifth uh, um, head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um where and I think under the guise of I think was it humanity first or Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association mm -hmm. a million trees within UK or exceeded that number have been planted under the guidance of His Holiness, hasn't it? That's right. Then this this became a a um, MDM Muslim Association uh, led initiative as well. So mm -hmm. all of the auxiliary organisations within within MDM Muslim community took part in that. Um, the the uh, reason so I briefly the reason I mention it because we we you know the, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is not just about reading out 
you know, verses from the Holy Quran and narrations of the Holy Prophet. But it's in the, what we've been taught about the promise, by the promised Messiah is a living religion. It is about we do what is said, not just say it and then move on to, uh, you know, it's yeah, not absolutely. just lip service. Yeah, sure, by, sure yeah. by, by example. But I, I, I just want to go back to what uh, Brother Hanifa just talked about and what the, uh, His Holiness is. is and he, he talked about a cyclic effect. Yes. It, he started off with the climate change mm. and it just brings everything back to it connected everything it's just amazing as it, how deep his thought is on on look you're talking about climate change which is really important but look of the impact that is happening happening mm. on on the people on the ground yeah and it's forcing them to he's talking about you know people are not being able to educate themselves because they're too busy trying to survive and the the people, the extremists are then preying on them, and it's yeah. just a vicious cycle. Uh, the, the thing, right on that point there at the end, where he talks about radicalization, mm. and this is what we're seeing in these war-torn countries. This is why they're not coming out because they sometimes it's to their those leaders who those extremist leaders are using it to their advantage. So the country stays deprived. It's going to take a lot of time and effort and support from the countries that have stability to go and help those other countries to actually get stability in those countries and back the right leaders with the right intentions, not that always for their own interest. That's another issue that we need. That's another wider topic altogether. And of course, uh, His Holiness has always uh, you know, said and emphasized that if there is a solution, and there is a solution, and of course, the solution is looking towards God Almighty, it is to focus and continuous and make your prayers stronger and yeah. increase them on a daily basis because that's where the solution the ultimate solution lies with god almighty you are listening to saturday morning live with generation x with myself you and brother adil and brother Hanif. the topic of the conversation today has been sustainability climate change and ai and um we had the pleasure of having mihir gore um, um, from IBM as a guest who who answered a lot of our questions, clarified a lot of uh, misconceptions and confusions. Um, gentlemen, um, if I may give all of you guys uh, a minute each or a minute and a half. Brother Adil. It's been great to be back. Um, we started off um, with some somber news, mm-hmm. um, a reality check on life. Yeah. Um, and we started to talk about sustainability and the there is a lot of doom and gloom about the climate change but it's about time we acted and i hope that um we've given some fruit for thought for our listeners um about we'll what be we need carrying to do. this on won't we the ai uh, thing i think is a must isn't it i think you love ai but i think it's more about how to apply ai in a positive way yep. in all manners and i think maybe this is an opportunity to explore that a bit more and we should definitely be inviting Mahir and uh, to the show again to talk about the impact of AI on climate change. And I know this is something that is core to what IBM is trying to do from a sustainability perspective. But again, um, it's it just, we, we have to start to, and as you said, you know, the Hamdi Muslim community is about doing, not just, you know, yes. talking. Yep. And you will see that in all walks of life, and it's demonstrated by, um, you know, the, 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 the leadership of, our, of, of, of His Holiness, Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper. Brother Hanif. Yeah, I think we're going through a, a change and a realization. And after every moment in the world's um, suffering, solutions come out. If you imagine in the early 18th, 19th century, we come up with solutions like the x ray machine. Mm. We came up with things like uh, penicillin, insulin, which had 
fantastic results on the world. And I think through this, today's discussion, I think we're seeing that although we are suffering all over the world and climate change is actually reaching its tip, tipping points, as Mihir said, is that we will find solutions. It just needs people like us and people like Mihir talking about it to change the mindsets of people to come up with solutions because we are at a point in our society today where we are hurting, suffering, and a solution needs to be found, and the political will is so important here. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, a fantastic program. Really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you to both of you, brothers. Uh, thank you to special thank you to brother Mihir uh, for joining us today. Thank you to brother Akib in in the in, in our technical uh, team for supporting us today. Um, if you have a topic in mind that you think that we you would like for us to cover, we would love to hear from you. O two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Feel free to call us and let us know, or or um, you know um, share share with us uh, what your thoughts are on what you would like to 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 hear from um islam is a, is a religion which covers all aspects of our life so we would uh, um, you know um, we would look to entertain any topic that you might have in mind um it is uh, coming up to the hour thank you to brother adil thank you to brother hani for joining me today thank you to all of us all all of you for listening um please forgive any shortcomings on our part Please remember us in your prayers. Have a fantastic rest of the weekend. Until we meet again, may the peace and blessings.